The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Well, hello there, Dror. How are you doing? Hi, Mark. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. You know, it is lovely weather in Phoenix, Arizona, and I understand you just came back from London, right? where it probably was very rainy, unlike the sun. You wouldn't believe it, Mark, but the weather in London was amazing. It, actually, was. it was. Yes. Actually, last wow. week, they had the warmest February in 50 years in London. <laughs> and Chalk that up to Brexit. There's got to be a tie-in. I don't know. <laughs> wow. But uh, no, in all seriousness, what were you doing in London? So uh, I was um, attending a few industry events. One of them is a streaming forum, which is like a, a European or a, a UK version of uh, Streaming Media East, just a bit uh, smaller, right. but uh, very interesting. And I was on a panel there. And that was co-located with an industry show called uh, BVE, which is like the uh, NAB of uh, the UK, but smaller, of course. And I was on a panel um, at BV as well. And uh, we also had some customer meetings. So um, overall, it was, uh, it was a great trip, not only great weather, but uh, great meetings and um, panels and uh, meeting with all the guys we know from the industry from NAB and IBC. And uh, that's always fun. Yeah, that's great. And well, after, I know you that know that after the conference, everybody goes to the pub. The that's pub, a tradi- the pub. Yeah, that's, that's a right. tradition, of course. <laughs> it's, and, and it's an important one. That's where the business gets done, right? Or, or that's where you really learn. Yeah, it took yeah. me time well, to learn. But, but, <laughs> yes, but, but, but you adapted quickly by, by the second night, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's, that's great. And, uh, well, I, and I'm thinking, uh, Mark, towards NAB, we need to do a, a podcast, uh, not about, you know, technology and trends and stuff, but where are the hot parties to go to, you know, which booth has the best giveaways, which has the cocktail reception, you, you know, at the end of that right. every day, you know, stuff like interesting stuff like that. Interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see about putting that together. Actually, I, I, I think there is someone I'm blanking out on who it is. I want to say it's like a, a PR firm and, you know, it might even be CES, but I'm pretty certain they do it for NAB as well, that that they that's what they do. They compile this this massive <laughs> list of all of the sponsored parties, the free parties, the, you know, all the events. And uh, it, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for this episode, let's let's have a little pub talk about what you what you learned, some insights uh, coming out of of this event as we know, these are tremendous opportunities, you know, these trade shows and conferences to really get a finger on the pulse of what's happening, kind of real-time information. So let's jump in. What do you say? Yeah, sure, mate. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you got to work on you got to work on your accent. Yeah, I am yeah. so terrible with accents. <laughs> I don't even try. So, but you, okay. you, you at least, you at least tried. I, so least I, tried. I give you an a, a for effort, as they say. Okay, cheers, cheers, uh, cheers, cheers. Okay, cheers. No, yeah. There's one thing I learned about the English uh, people. It took me a while until I noticed 
that they pronounce H differently than the Americans, right? They don't say H, they say H. Did you notice yes, that? Yes, 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 that's right. And that's right. They don't say H-E-V-C, they say H-E-V-C. That's right. You're like, what? I, I don't think I've, I've heard it. Oh, H-E-V-C. Okay, I know what you're talking about. So, yeah, we're going to talk in a few minutes about H-E-V-C versus AV1, which is one of the topics. That's right. That's, that's right. It's a required. It's, it's required for every conference. You have to have a panel. Did you yeah. know that? It, yeah. it, it's, it, it's law. It's written yeah. into the law. It's law of the land. So, <laughs> law of so, the <laughs> So the um, the topic of of the of streaming forum, um, the general theme this year was OTT better than broadcast? Question mark. Question mark. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't said like as as, as a definite statement. It's it a wasn't a, a fact or a statement. Just yeah. yeah. Is it OTT? Is it better it than be? broadcast? Yeah. And the panel I participated in it was the last one of the day, and it was called uh, the cutting edge of OTT. And the interesting uh, topic uh, was brought up by uh, one of the participants because the moderator presented statistics showing that um, over-the-top video has overtaken broadcast viewing in the UK. And um, I found that um, quite interesting. So it was me who posed the question, what exactly is OTT? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But but just to go back on that, so this this is by time or or when it says overtaken, what exactly? Yes, I think I think it was uh, uh, regarding viewing time. Yes, viewing time. Okay, makes yes. sense. So viewing time over the top is more than viewing time on regular broadcast, and this this really brought the question of what exactly is is OTT, and I claim that my that the people who participated in the panel and also the audience, each one of them has a different definition of, uh, of OTT. And I also think that uh, the cutoff point between OTT and broadcast, it isn't really a clear cut. It's, it's kind of fuzzy. That's and, right. And um, some people think that it's, it's very easy. They say, you know, definition of OTT, that's easy. If you're paying somebody for content and you're paying someone else for the infrastructure on which that content is delivered to you, then that's over the top. But I think it's kind of a simplistic way to look at things because if I have an ISP who is also a content provider and I'm having like a bundled service of TV over the internet together with internet connectivity and together with, uh, you know, maybe voice calls, there are these kind of quad play services sure. that... You can sure. get today, I'm paying the same guy for infrastructure and content, but still that content is delivered over the internet, it's delivered over IP, and it's delivered using protocols, you know, like HLS and Dash. And it seems to me that sometimes the term OTT, which really is relevant for a business discussion, like a business model, uh, who are you paying That's right. and, and, you know, is it single company that you get everything from or you're paying uh, somebody for one layer of your service and somebody else for the content. You know, that's kind of a business discussion. But in many cases, when people talk about OTT, they talk about OTT as a technology, you know, a technology for streaming video over IP. And this that's is right. 
that, that's completely separate from the business model that, that you use. So I, I really think it's time to, to talk about uh, streaming delivery or streaming technologies or streaming over IP when we talk about the technology and, and stop talking about OTT as a type of technology. Yeah, I, I, I definitely observe and, and agree with you. One of the observations as well that, that I have is, is that really we get asked, of course, for our solutions, you know, when, when we're talking to someone who's maybe not familiar with us is, um, oh, so you're mostly focused on OTT or you only provide OTT solutions. And it is true that there, there, is a, there are different things that are required for a managed network over an unmanaged network. And right. that's really how the lines break down technically. And I, I think it's more helpful setting aside some of these, you know, and we're going to even talk about some of the business model things, but setting aside this whole debate of, oh, is it if you pay for your internet access separate from the actual service, set that aside. But technically, I think it's better to just think of like, are you on a managed network where you control the system end to end and where you have a very specific delivery point, i.e. a set-top box or some sort of an appliance that is controlled and it's a small set of devices, maybe even just one, that can be a different, have a different set of technical requirements than if it's, again, what the industry calls OTT, which is kind of like any device anywhere that, that, that can decode H.264, you know, and has some player on it, you know, in some app environment. So it can render your, your user interface, for example. Right, right. And when it's a cloud system. Did they talk about that in this discussion? Did anybody bring that angle up? Kind of the managed versus unmanaged network and this whole idea of discussing OTT? It didn't come up uh, directly. And uh, most of the people in, in the panel, you know, companies like um, uh, Imagine um, Communications, for example, and we had somebody from um, Edgecast. Basically, they were focused on on the delivery over IP. They didn't say it. They said OTT, but the focus was with delivery over IP networks. And I, I agree with you that when a cable provider uses QAM and sends data in that way or a satellite over the satellite uh, connection, that's right. The the constraints and the protocols and the timing and everything is is completely different when you're working like over an IP network and definitely when you're working over the open internet. Sure. So um, as I said, the cutoff point is is fuzzy. I did hear from some people in the industry that they have very strict definition and it's easy. Well, I claim it is not easy. So <laughs> to prove this, I want to propose a game show. And the game show is called, Is It OTT? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. But but what do you win? What does the winner get? <laughs> the the winner gets to be on a panel in the next uh, streaming media. Hey, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they will get to explain on stage exactly what is OTT because if they can pass this this test and answer this quiz with the uh, most uh, correct answers. The, the, the largest number of correct answers, then obviously they know this stuff and they know what, what OTT is. 
Obviously, they're qualified. That's right. But, yeah. you know, you know, drawer, and then we can move on. But I, this is interesting. But is it important? I sit here and I listen to the discussion and I can only imagine being in the room with these, um, you know, very top industry experts, the companies you name or nobody's going to say they, they, they don't know video and, and, and shouldn't be listened to. But I'm also kind of sitting here thinking like, why does it really matter? <laughs> Like, 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 does this change anything, whether I agree with your definition or I disagree? Does it change anything about how how I'm going to sell the products I'm going to develop? I don't know. What do you think? Does it matter? It's not going to to to, to change what you do. It it could change the way you talk about what you do, and when you talk about. Um, Things like industry statistics and uh, market trends. Okay, mm, and, that's uh, right. And then so, it, it it does matter. Yeah, and and then it yeah. becomes Im- Im- important. And sometimes yeah. they put you in a box, like, okay, uh, this is NAB, and in this uh, hall, in this section, we're gonna show all the companies in OTT. Yeah, yeah. So I said, okay, if I'm a cable provider that's sending uh, a video to my subscribers, I I shouldn't be here, right? I guess I don't need to go in that hall. I don't need to go. South, yeah, South Hall I, Upper. I guess I don't need okay, to go but there. I am, <laughs> right, but I am delivering uh, to mobile devices, right? That's and right. Tablet, that's and I'm doing right. HLS and Dash and yeah. all yeah. of that. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. sometimes definitions are important. Yeah. I could be that uh, the fight is um, is lost and uh, we cannot change uh, the industry. Uh, perception, but at least on our show, every time that somebody says OTT, we can say, bzz, bzz. that's yeah. right. We need a buzzer. <laughs> yeah, we can buzz them away. We can. Buzz that's them right. Away. That's right. It's banned. Actually, <laughs> you know, actually, I'd have to, I'd have to go back through and 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 read the transcripts. We absolutely have used the buzzword OTT. Yeah, of course. But, like everybody but, else. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But. I don't think we've used it that much now that I'm thinking about it. Like, you know, I think we've kind of stayed shy of it. Anyway, hey, let's move on to the required debate. You cannot have a conference. You cannot have an event without one panel. Better if you have two. And if you're really cool, you have three panels. HEVC versus AV1. Yeah. So the epic, the epic, the battle. epic and, and it's and it's a battle, and you have to have someone up there who's like willing to die for HEVC, and you have to have another person just willing to die for AV1, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us, there was an HEVC versus AV1 panel, and I believe Media Kind actually led that or even gave the presentation. What were the highlights? Yeah, it, it was a presentation by MediaKind. Very interesting presentation. I enjoyed it a lot, especially because it went into all the technical details and actual evaluation results that they did on their own by downloading the latest versions of different implementations of HEVC and AV1. And they used really the latest builds. It was last, like a build from two weeks ago. They, mm. they tested it and benchmarked it. So I really found this one to be to be very uh, uh, interesting, and l- let me share with you some of the uh, the highlights of that uh, presentation. You know, things I I wrote down. So the first comparison which they did 
was uh, comparing uh, reference models because you know there are various ways to compare codecs. You can compare commercial implementations. You can compare on a theoretical level uh, what type of tools each codec has. So the first comparison they did was uh, reference models, the best and, of course, lowest uh, software that you can get to implement all of the tools in each standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this comparison, they found that AV1 has an, an advantage over HEVC of up to 10% in uh, BD rate. BD rate means how much lower bit rate can you get for the same quality. So with AV1, according to MediaKind's evaluation, you can get up to 10% lower bit rate using the same quality. Okay. So this is um, a result they came to using uh, objective metrics. Then they also did uh, subjective tests. And they found that subjective users didn't find a clear visual quality advantage of one codec over the other. So subjective users judged both codecs as having similar quality. Mm-hmm. Each one of them had a different uh, had different types of uh, of uh, artifacts, but you couldn't say that one had more artifacts than another when encoding the same content at the same bitrate. Interesting. So that was uh, one conclusion that they uh, presented. Now, Jor, I uh, let me stop you because I I think if I'm remembering correctly, the number that gets they found a 10% right. BD rate improvement in but but I seem to remember the 30% is the number that the AV1 community is using. Isn't that kind of so there's a discrepancy there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean 30% and I think in in um, a Bitmovin um, article that we mentioned in one of the previous podcasts, they talked yeah, about forty right. percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you remember, there were a few twitches done in that <laughs> comparison. Yes, 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 yes. And we covered that. Yeah, we covered that. Yeah, and... they didn't. Uh, they didn't tune HEVC for PSNR, even though they measured PSNR. And the forty percent was only for one clip; it wasn't the average, yeah. and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go into <laughs> all, all of the right. issues there. Right. But this is what um, MediaKind has, uh, has, has presented uh, recently at, uh, at the streaming forum. In terms of performance, they found that uh, reference model of AV1 is uh, seventy-two times more complex than the reference model of HEVC. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, you know not surprising. You know we've we've measured on our own you know numbers like a hundred percent, a hundred times more complex. Sure. So uh, seventy-two times more complex isn't uh, surprising. There is a big improvement in encoding performance, which they reported. In early versions, AV1 would take thirty-two minutes to encode a frame. It's and now it's only one and a half minutes per frame. One and a half minutes. All right. Yeah. Okay. And that's uh, that's Speed right, demon. you know. Yeah. So if you want a single frame of video, and remember, you can have as many as thirty or sixty frames in in every second for a, for a single frame of video, you just have enough time to go make yourself a coffee and come back, and that frame is fully encoded. They're fully encoded, and All you're right. ready to move to the next one. Wow! And they also mentioned a figure that I heard previously in the industry that. When all is said and done and the commercial implementations of AV1 are available and fully optimized in software, 
they are expected to be five to 10 times more complex than HEVC. And this um, is not a terrible number, you know, it's much better than 72 times more complex. That's true. Yeah. Five to 10 times makes sense. And if you compare, and this is another very interesting figure that MediaKind presented, HEVC implementations initially were five to 10 times more complex than AVC, but with HEVC, you do get a BD rate advantage of 40, 50% over AVC. That's right. And with AV1, you only get 10%. So, 10%, you know, is it worth yeah. it? Sure. That, sure. Uh, that complex, that high complexity of encoding. So, that was uh, another interesting uh, statistic. And if you look at uh, VVC, that's really important. Very interesting uh, figure, and it's the first time I uh, I heard about this figure. So they presented uh, two different working points for VVC. I just remind our listeners that VVC is uh, the next video encoding standard coming out of the MPEG committee after HEVC, the next major one. And listen to episode eight with Leonardo Kirlioni, who's the chairman. Right, talk right. They talked about, about HEVC. Yeah. Uh, chairman of MPEG, yeah. Right, the chairman of MPEG. And he also talked about EVC, which is an interim codec. That's right. Between HEVC and VVC, which will even come out earlier. But uh, VVC, which is um, the next uh, uh, generation of codec. So they presented uh, two different working points for VVC. In one working point, VVC has 44% better BD rate than HEVC, but is 13 times slower than HEVC. And in a second working point, using only some of the tools of a VVC, not all of them, it has 30% better BD rate, and it's only two times slower than HEVC. So uh, that is really very uh, encouraging hmm. that we're going to have a video standard that is significantly better than HEVC. It's not 10%, it's 30%. And this 30% comes only at a 2x performance penalty versus HEVC. And uh, they expect the standard to be finalized uh, late uh, 2020. So that was also a very um, interesting uh, interesting data point. And is that difference, the, the 13x versus the 2x encoding time, is that just a function of turning off some of the tools that you know require yes. more computational cycles? Yes, okay. yes. it's turning off okay. some of the tools. It's, it's just yeah. like in, um, in other encoders, you have uh, presets or profiles, you know, like slow, That's very right. slow, very fast. Yep. And each yep. one of them is a different trade-off between performance and quality or bitrate. Sure. Performance, sure. CPU performance and compression efficiency are traded off. And, uh, and here you have um, a similar type of trade-off. Okay, interesting. And then another statistic they presented is HEVC install base and uh, HEVC usage. And uh, we've come across some of, these, um, some of this research um, uh, as well. So obviously HEVC in every new 4K TV that was released uh, since uh, 2014, HEVC is present. Then they, they showed uh, two different statistics one of them is from a website called uh, Can I Use, CanIUse.com, which is a website for, I think, mainly for uh, web application developers who want to know whether a certain feature of a browser or a device is supported so they can uh, put it 
in their uh, in their web app. So according to caniuse.com, HEVC is supported in all Apple devices, all of the new Apple devices, and 19% of uh, Android devices. And then according to Sienta Mobile, and this is a research that we've uh, already seen and I think we already discussed, 78% of iOS devices and 57% of Android devices report HEVC support in hardware. So I guess these two platforms are seeing different segments of the market, probably. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's important for listeners to understand the, the, the can I use, the difference between Cientia Mobile, and I, I, I don't really know exactly the can I use, you know, where that data comes from, but I think Cientia Mobile is the most relevant for us who are building services that consumers are actually using, because this data is from mobile networks. They have arrangements with all of the largest carriers. In fact, I, I think they pretty much deal with literally all the carriers. And they have some sort of data probes. And obviously, this is all anonymized. I mean, they're not gathering like personal information. It's just yeah. strictly device profiles. And the reason why this data from Cientia Mobile is so significant is that that 78% of iOS devices are that 78% of iOS devices that are connected to the network support HEVC. They know mm -hmm. for a fact. So that means that if I'm a service provider, if I'm an operator and I'm worried, okay, so if I switch my encoding codec so my whole ABR stack from H.264 to HEVC, obviously a very real concern is, am I going to leave a bunch of my users behind? You know, they can no longer watch content because, you know, because our device doesn't support it. And obviously, you know, we're, the reality is we're in a dual codec world and we will be for some time. So, you know, we're not advocating like, you know, just stop H.264. But what we are saying is, is it 78%? I mean, that's what Cientia Mobile is, is proving here. 78% of your users who are on iOS can decode HEVC. 57% on Android can decode HEVC in hardware. These are devices connected to the network. So you can't get kind of more like real world than that. So I think that's, I, I just wanted to make sure that the, the listeners understood the difference between those two um, research points. Right. And, and and that's very important. I mean, personally, I don't see why anybody won't, uh, you know, utilize HEVC as another codec, you know, just to reach those users. Absolutely. You know, and, and save bandwidth and improve their, um, their quality and experience. But uh, yeah, we see it uh, already uh, starting yeah. uh, uh, to happen. One of the really surprising statistics that they presented was surprised to me. What do you think is the AV1 penetration, AV1 support in desktops? What percent of desktops support AV1? Well, I mean, <laughs> of course, Mozilla is pretty pretty active, right? In in saying right. uh, so, my assumption is is that there's a small segment. I don't know, ten um, percent. Yeah, that, that was my assumption. I was aware of Mozilla. I knew about the Firefox Nightly build, which yeah. was the first one released to support AV1 uh, decoding in software. But it turns out that uh, somehow I missed this, but in Chrome version 70, AV1 support was added into uh, Google Chrome. 
So right now, actually, 63% of desktop browsers suddenly support AV1 decoding now. <laughs> Interesting. So, so yeah, that was very surprising to me. Of course, it's uh, it's it's quite difficult to um, to establish a service, you know, based on uh, computer uh, desktops uh, browsing. Yeah, yeah. Unless you know you're doing some kind of uh, corporate uh, video, whatever, where you're sitting at your desk anyway. Today, most of the video consumption is done on TVs and mobile devices and tablets. And, you know, obviously in these devices, there, there is no support for, um, for AV1. And um, if you would try to do it in software to do the decode, I think it would drain your battery pretty fast. Yes. So um, MediaKind uh, reported, uh, and this is also obviously known to us, the first chipsets that uh, support AV1 decoding in hardware are expected in the second half of uh, 2019. And then, um, you know, it takes time for those uh, chips to be um, integrated into devices and for those devices to start appearing on the market. So probably we'll get the first devices announced in uh, 2020. Maybe we'll hear some uh, CS announcements. And then we'll start seeing uh, first devices with... Um, HEVC with the AV1 uh, decoders starting uh, to appear on the market like uh, I would say 12 to 18 months uh, from now is, is the beginning. So um, given all of this, um, MediaKind uh, summarized it um, very nicely and tried to uh, estimate um, where will AV1 be adopted. So, you know, given the complexity of the encode, and the support for um, decode initially in browsers and only later coming to devices, they said that uh, the first services to use it would be on-demand uh, streaming. For VOD content, you can take as much time as you want. Of course, it costs you, but you can take a lot of time to do the encode. And uh, this kind of VOD content in AV1 will be delivered first to uh, desktops and only later when hardware support comes to mobile devices and uh, TVs, then it will be uh, delivered to those um, uh, platforms as well. And they said that they don't think that adoption in uh, broadcast services in, and live streaming is... Um, it's not feasible, right? It's, it seems yeah, like yeah. It's, it's not... They, uh, they don't see it happening anytime soon, mainly because of the performance uh, overhead. Sure, That sure. you really need huge machines. You probably need uh, ASICs on the encode side as well. You need support in the server platforms. That, that will take uh, a quite a while. And again, you're doing this all, all of this for quite a small um, compression efficiency advantage over HEVC. And uh, we've been discussing that we feel very confident already with the royalty situation of, uh, of HEVC, and I'm sure it is going to improve in the future as well. And uh, MPEG is trying to do this EVC codec, which is supposed to be royalty-free. And uh, there's um, an industry forum that is following the development of VVC from the start, trying to make uh, sure that the royalty issues um, will, not, uh, will not hit this standard and everything will be more organized. 
And uh, yeah, hopefully we will get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just remind listeners that our very first episode and our second episode, we um, go into much more depth about the AV1 situation, if you will, the reality of what's happening on the licensing side, meaning royalties specifically, the realities of uh, and some of the gaps in the testing, you know, drawers, you mentioned even a few minutes ago that some some of the results that have been put out there about AV1's improvement in efficiency are are just not correct is, is probably a a polite way to to put it. So, if anybody wants to go back and listen, uh, listen to episode one and then episode two. Well, this is great drawer. I mean, it's uh, it, it is good. It's helpful to. I'm happy that Media Kind used uh, the latest builds and you know brought some some fresh data because, of course, it's not that useful if they were just going back into the archives like everyone else, you know, and sort of rehashing uh, old slides. Yeah. But it seems like, yeah, it seems like you know, AV1. I, I think our general feeling and you know general sense is is that it's going to find an application but it probably i don't think anyone really believes that it is the next generation codec in terms of 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 something that's really commercial that's widely adopted that is used like h264 it doesn't appear anyway at this point to be the replacement for h264 Right, right. I'm quite sure YouTube will use it. Um, Absolutely. But but like VP9, you know, on one hand, yeah, you yeah. can They're say... They're using VP9 all over the place. Yeah, exactly. And Almost it, it, nobody else is. Almost no one else uses it. And it's sort of affectionately referred to as the YouTube codec or the Google codec. And, and, and that's fine. And of course, YouTube is so massive. But yet the reality is VP9 is, quote, everywhere. And yet it's not at the same time, if that makes sense. It's only because YouTube yeah. is so big. If YouTube was yeah. a small little, you know, little website off on the side somewhere, then no one would even know or care. But yeah, it's interesting. Well, let's, um, we have, we have one more topic here that I understand uh, came up as well. And this is um, really hitting close to home in the US. And that is the business model of AVOD versus SVOD. So, you know, advertising versus subscription. And um, I think it's it's really interesting because uh, Sony Crackle is probably one of the longest standing AVOD services, and and I know there's there's plenty of others, and there's certainly a lot of probably niche content services I'm not even aware of. But in terms of licensed Hollywood content, you know, there's Sony Crackle has movies that. You know, that um, they might be 20 years old, but they're major movies and you can watch them for free. So Crackle has been out there for many years. Uh, in fact, I think Crackle is more than 10 years old, Drawer. It's amazing. Yeah, They've been out yeah. there. And then we saw just last month Pluto TV, which is another totally free AVOD service, was bought by Viacom for $340 million. And yeah, that was Com an amazing acquisition. Yeah, amazing acquisition. And, and you know, Viacom has been, this really appears to, to be at the center of their strategy. So they appear to 
Obviously, they license content to these platforms, especially the virtual MVPD platforms. You know, they license their channels, et cetera. But in terms of their offer, Pluto appears to really be at the center of their strategy, meaning AVOD. And, mm-hmm. and then you have Comcast, who's rumored through NBC Universal to be launching an AVOD service. And, you know, I'm thinking about all this and, you know, Sony Crackle, I mean, I know you've watched Sony Crackle, I watched Sony Crackle, amazing service. And yet they've never, they just never have gotten close to the scale or the size of like Netflix. And I've always scratched my head and said, why? Because everyone loves free. And yeah, it's true. The content freshness, you know, yes, it's older movies and all, but it's good stuff. You know, I mean, it's not like it's just a bunch of, you know, (laughs) bunch of uh, stuff that no one wants to watch. And so it seems like there there really is an opportunity for a Netflix size AVOD service to to be built. And and I think totally coexist alongside, you know, I don't even think, you know, people love to paint things as wars and, you know, like, oh, you know, they're going to crush Netflix, you know, and the market will have their opinion if this happens. I consumers can get tired of subscriptions, (laughs) you know, so at the end (laughs) of the day. They pile up, right? They pile up, they add up, and suddenly your credit card is being charged like crazy. Yeah, exactly. And so I I really see a world where, where yes, Netflix, you know, amazing content. So everybody's going to have a Netflix subscription. Maybe there's one other subscription, you know, maybe it's specialty sports or, you know, there's there's something. But I see a world where there could be an AVOD service that's as big as Netflix, maybe even bigger uh, in terms of number of users. But did this come up at the conference? You know, what what were you hearing as you were moving around and speaking on panels? So, yeah, yeah, definitely this, this topic of business model subscription versus, versus advertising uh, came up. By the way, I think I found your Netflix size AVOD service. It is called YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, a hundred, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, Correct. yeah, it's, it's mostly UGC. Yeah. On the music side, you know, you can get almost anything there just for, for watching advertisement. You can get uh, latest uh, uh, music videos. Obviously, you know, you don't get things like uh, live sports and uh, you don't have latest movies and uh, and things like that. And it's more the long tail content and the niche content, but uh, definitely a business model that proves itself. Yeah. But I think it proves itself because it is UGC. You know, you, you look at the amount of, of cash that Netflix is pouring into their original productions and into licensing content. And it's just, uh, you know, huge amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let's face it, if they're and of course, the uh, uh, bears <laughs> in terms of the stock market, the, the bears point this out all the time. Like, look, if it weren't for this stock price for Netflix stock price, they, they couldn't invest the way they are. I mean, the economics don't make sense. Right. They're right. literally spending more. They're even going out and getting debt financing to continue to invest in more content. But yet for years, people have been saying, you know, Netflix is a house of cards. Pardon the, 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 <laughs> the, the pun there. But, you know, and, and yet the reality of the matter is, is that now they, they're creating awesome content, great content that people want. They're showing that people are willing to pay more. They raise prices and guess what? They continue to grow their subscriber base. 
all of a sudden it's starting to look like this long game, you know, that uh, Reed and the, and the team is playing is, you know, it's kind of another Amazon story, right? Yeah. Yeah. The model seems, the model seems to work and, and it's really, and it's really amazing. I agree with you that there is room for subscription services alongside free services and uh, the new ones coming out, um, I, I think very soon, according to the rumors that uh, Disney uh, is launching in the spring and Apple, That's right. yeah. uh, those are subscription uh, services, definitely. But but there are room for free services for, for certain types of content and for certain types of audience. The thing that, that I'm trying to contemplate is whether a single service can mix two models. And this is something that came as, as a surprise to me. I didn't know that in the UK satellite service like Sky and, 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 and such subscription services, you pay a monthly fee, but the channels also have advertisements. Is it the same in the US? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's been that way for years. It's been that way for years. It's a dual, it's a dual revenue model. It's wonderful. Isn't it this kind of uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. for them? Isn't it kind of you know double dipping? I mean, of course, I'm it's double dipping. That's the whole point. <laughs> I mean, I, I I understand that if I'm watching like ABC or NBC through the sure uh, over the, the air cable service yeah, and, exactly. and, and it's over the air, also available over the air, and it's sure, a commercial sure, sure. channel, then I get advertising. Yeah. But if I'm watching a movie channel, yeah. Yep. Do I also get advertisements? Yep, yep, you do. Now, you know, it's with different frequency. You know, the ad load is not as great. I mean, it, it it's not that you're necessarily interrupted every seven minutes or 10 minutes or 14 minutes, whatever the breaks are, you know, with a two minute, you know, or three minute advertising block. So, but yes, absolutely. It's a dual revenue model. And and so I, the what I see happening is I, I, I think Netflix will get advertising. I, I think they will. And initially, you know, there's going to be all kinds of articles written about this is the down, you know, the downfall of Netflix. They've finally done it. And you know what? The consumer just, I don't want to say the consumer doesn't care, but, you know, you think about it, how we are, we are accosted with marketing. You can't even leave your yeah. house. We're accosted yeah. with marketing. The consumer is We're used surrounded to this. Surrounded by it. Yeah, is used to this exchange of some sort of, perceived value. And at the end of the day, you can always cut off, you, you can always cancel, right? You know, nobody's, there's no contracts. There's no, there's no penalties for canceling. This isn't a, a, you know, an old school cable subscription, you know, where you truly were locked into a contract. So I, I think we are going into dual revenue model at some point, A, because the economics, I mean, yes, Netflix is, is, is growing their subscriber base. Yes, their stock price, you know, supports their, their debt load and, and everything. But at some point, <laughs> you, at some point, you have to make more than you're spending at some point yeah. and they're going to have to do it. I don't think it's going to hurt their business model at all. I think the one challenge with AVOD is it the the kind of use the 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 digital marketing metrics of like CPM and it's not digital marketing it's it's advertising in general you know just the values that you can get on the content it's it's really tough you have to get content for for very very low cost which is why like you look on Sony Crackle and some of these and you know some of these services and and you know there's a handful of major kind of blockbuster movies they're probably 
10 to 12 years old, you know, but they're big enough movies that people are like, oh, yeah, that was a good movie. You know, like, I'll watch that again. But then you, you go below those and there's a bunch of like, you've never even heard of these people. You know, you've, yeah. you're, like, you're like, I've never heard of any of these movies, any of these actors, any of these like. And so yeah. the, the, the challenge. You, you, you get them for a, a dime a dozen. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. So the, so the challenge, I think it's, I mean, I started out sort of making the case like, hey, you know, there, there, there can be built and there will be built a Netflix size and class AVOD service. It is challenging economics because the CPMs, just the money that you can get from that advertising is, is just, it's not that great. It's really low, actually. So it's shockingly low. Yeah. You would, you would, you would think it would be more, but it just isn't. So yeah, this is a very interesting discussion. And, uh, you know, I think in future episodes, Dror, maybe uh, maybe we can bring some guests on who are, you know, we tend to lean and I know our audience is, is mostly more on the technical side of the business. And, and that's certainly where we are, too. But but I think it is very useful to understand what's happening on the business side, on the commercial side with these business models. I'll tell you what I'm really intrigued just to kind of Put a put a pin in this episode and uh, and bring it to a close. Unrelated, but did QB come up at all at BVE? Did you hear anything about QB or you know even what T-Mobile might be doing around their mobile video service? Did did any of that come up? No, no, it didn't. No, but I'd be happy to hear about it. What is this new uh, mobile video service? Yeah, well, I'm not. Yeah, so so QB is um, Jeffrey Katzenberg and uh, Meg Whitman. They've raised a billion dollars to go build wow. a mobile-first video service. They have an amazing team around them. The former head of engineering of Hulu is leading their engineering effort. And you can go, you know, you can easily go on to LinkedIn. You can look look all these people up and, and, you know, and you'll see that this is a serious heavyweight group of people who are basically coming together to, and they're, they're speaking sort of generally and cryptically. So, you know, I've not heard much more than what you can find just in inter- interviews. <laughs> but um, they see an opportunity to build a mobile first video service. And now what that means, you know, on one hand, I, even I sort of scratched my head and said, okay, so you're you're going to slightly reformat the video for like a six and a half inch screen or, you know, like what yeah. exactly does that mean? And two, two minute movies, or two minute like movies that. or, you know, and, and I don't know, but, but sort of reading between the lines and thinking about who these people are is both, I mean, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, come on, Steven Spielberg's partner, I mean, has made, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, powerhouse in Hollywood, like he knows content, Meg Whitman. I mean, just, it's just, it's an amazing team. And so I have to believe that this is a lot more than just, oh, we, you know, we, we're going to make two minute and 15 second videos because we found that's the average viewing time on mobile. It's going to be a lot more than that, you know? And so the the reason for bringing that up and even thinking about like T-Mobile and this intersects with like 5G and, and with a business model discussion is, is that I think as technologists and those of us who are working primarily in, you know, or even exclusively in the technical side of the business, it is important to have a, have a, have a good sort of a, you know, some sort of an understanding of 
of what we're building our solutions, uh, who we're building them for. That's obviously the customer, but what the business model is around them. And I think that makes us better. It allows us to make better choices, you know, on technology. And uh, certainly for Beamer, um, and we don't talk a lot about ourselves, but, you know, I think I know, Drawer, you find yourself, you know, in a lot of, of selling environments or when we're in front of, of our customers, you know, we're, we're talking sometimes 50% about these very things right here. Because this matters, you know, driving if if there is a whole new service class that's going to be built direct to mobile device, then guess what? Sort of pretending that HEVC doesn't really exist or it's not here or it's this or it's that is 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 not going to serve you well. <laughs> you know, it's not right. going to end well right. if if QB comes out just and they build an amazing service and they're able to deliver amazing quality, higher resolution, and they're doing it all with HEVC. And then if someone's competing with them using kind of the you know the old codecs and kind of the old approaches, it's going to be challenging. The consumer knows the difference. They don't know what HEVC is. They don't need to know, but they just know like, wow, this service looks great. It doesn't buffer. It's an amazing experience. The UI, everything's amazing. This one kind of looks like what it was seven years ago or five years yeah, ago, it, or you know, and, and yeah, they're going to begin it, to migrate, you know, to the yeah, newer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the technology is the enabler for a great user experience. That's right. And the user experience also depends on the, the business model. Do you need to show ads? When do you show them? How do you show them? How do, do you, you buffer them? them? Yeah. Are, are they the same quality? You have HDR content. Do you have HDR ads? Will the user notice? That's right. You know, so a lot of the things around business model are, are related to technology. And these two fields, technology and business, they meet when you talk about the product. The product is a a combination of the technology, which is the foundation, and the business model, which is the target that you are trying uh, uh, to serve. That's right. So I, I fully agree with you that um, we need to have an understanding not only of the you know the bits and bytes and the inside of the technology, but also the business model, the use case, the user experience, even the content and new uh, creative ways to create and and to consume content. All of this is is part. Of of uh, of the essence, uh, we what of of what we do in uh, in video delivery. That's right. That's right. And to end with this, there's probably some that have forgotten now about T-Mobile's acquisition of Layer Three, and um, la Layer Three. And and by the way, that I think that also was a three hundred and forty or three hundred thirty million, three hundred fifty million. It was it was somewhere some of that range, very similar to the Pluto TV size. And, and mm -hmm. they, ra they raised a lot of money. I think they raised, you know, even more than like 100 million. So any anyway, the point is, is that this was not insignificant. But I think a lot of the industry has forgotten about this. And why I bring this up is, is here you have T-Mobile, who is, is uh, very aggressively, John Leisure is evangelizing 5G like nobody's business. I mean, he they are putting a stake in the ground. T-Mobile and then T-Mobile now Sprint is going to be the 5G leader. And they bought this company called Layer 3. And what codec did Layer 3 build on exclusively, Drawer? HEVC. 
<laughs> HEVC. Yep. HEVC. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, the reason why, you know, they probably have been forgotten about and kind of even maybe a little bit dismissed is, is their original business model was to basically put a set-top box. They were shipping it, not driving it out in a white van. So they would reduce costs significantly that way. But it it, it was kind of a cable alternative using mm-hmm. the internet, but it was set-top box based. And I think well, you know, I'm just making an assumption that if if that business model really worked, they probably wouldn't have sold the company that, you know, they, they, they would have built it. Right. But the point is, is that the entire system was built on HEVC and T-Mobile. Now T-Mobile knows how many iOS devices are connected to the network that support HEVC. T-Mobile knows how many Android devices. So we don't have to dream and get too kind of crazy in our imaginations to say, when T-Mobile launches their video service, this probably isn't just going to be some kind of the same old skinny bundle with the same user interface as everybody else streaming the same mobile bit rates. You know, this probably is going to be HEVC based. It's going to it's going to have great quality. They're all about the user. And what happens to all of a sudden the services that are sort of, you know, standing on the sidelines? So I know we, we, we got derailed in the last 10 minutes here, I think, or seven <laughs> minutes, but it feels like now we need to do a whole episode on just this last kind of seven minutes because there's some, there's some very, very, and this is real time, like these developments are happening now. You know, this isn't, you know, like, well, there's somebody's planning, thinking, dreaming, scheming of doing something like like <laughs> QB raised a billion dollars. They are building wow. their system now. This is happening that, that, now. That, and that's a great start, really. I mean, give me a billion dollars. I, I can, build, a <laughs> I can, for I sure, can build something. And I'll be left with some change. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, now, 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 remember, Dora, probably of that billion, I, I'll bet the engineering team got like a little tiny sliver of it. And then oh. the rest is all, con- <laughs> the rest is content, right? Uh, no, I, I, I don't yeah, know, yeah, but I, yeah. I can imagine content costs. Obviously, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, hey, we, we're at 58 minutes. I think this is our longest episode yet. We better. We, we broke we the record. We broke the we, record. We, we better stop. <laughs> but uh, hey, thank you for sharing, Drawer. Everything from London. It sounds like it was a, a great event. And uh, we're really looking forward to NAB. So for any listeners who, um, you know, would love to just hear more, talk with us personally, we'd love to meet you. We are going to be at NAB. Obviously, we're in the South Hall Upper. So come visit us. Easy to find. Beamer. And if you would like to come on the show, we always end with an invitation. We would love to have you on as a guest if you have some interesting insights, if you're working on something that's that's really cutting edge. Contact us and you can reach us at the Video Insiders at Beamer, that's B-E-A-M-R dot com. Just send us an email and we'll get in touch with you. And of course, you can subscribe at thevideoinsiders.com and you can access all of our previously published podcasts. So everyone have a wonderful day. Until next time, encode happily. Is that what we Happy say? Happy compressing, Corey? everybody. Happy compressing. Yes. All right. Have a great right. day, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.